0: Well, good morning again, ZPC. You know, one message or one uh, reiteration that I failed to make is, and this may be the most important next week, we have one service. What time is it at? 10 10 o'clock. You guys know this. Good. All right, 10 o'clock. Well, what a beautiful uh, Sunday to begin with, right, with the children singing the snow as you guys were coming in. And uh, what a beautiful fourth Sunday of Advent that we have today. An odd Sunday, again, as we've been talking about all of Advent because Christmas Eve is on this very day as well. But a good Sunday for us to gather around and to listen and to hear what it is that the Lord would have to say to us, And we've been going over, over these last uh, four or so Sundays now, uh, different aspects of Advent. We've been thinking about waiting and what that looks like to wait. We've talked about redemption. Today we're going to be talking about incarnation. And so I invite you to hear these words from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. John writes this, full of grace and truth. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, as we gather here this morning, this Christmas Eve morning, we come as a people who long to hear from you. We thank you, God, for The opportunity that we have had to hear your children proclaim your word in song. We thank you, Lord, for their energy, for their joy, for their sense of anticipation. And I pray, Lord, that you would allow them to teach us what it means to anticipate and to have joy and energy. Not just because of the season or the lights or the snow, but because of the reality that you have been born into this world. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. Well, as you all probably already know, the Gospel of John starts uh, in marked contrast to most of the other Gospels. There's no uh, kind of exciting story of angels, uh, you know, there's no shepherds, you'll have to come back tonight in order to hear more about them. No, it, it begins much more kind of abstractly, much more philosophically, if you will, uh, this particular uh, rendition of the Gospel. This is what they call this first part of John kind of the prologue to the rest the of the gospel that John is writing. He's trying to set us up in many different ways. And he begins, of course, with the beginning, right? The beginning of John's gospel is in the beginning. And if you were of Jewish descent or even now as followers of Jesus who have read the scriptures, this would remind you, of course, of Genesis, right? Which starts out... In the beginning. Exactly. And so from the very start, John wants us to be clear of a couple of things. First of all, this is not something new. In other words, we call it the New Testament, but we should probably call it the Continued Testament. Because what John wants us to be certain of and understanding is that this is not something new per se, as much as this is kind of the next step In the mission of God that began very much at the very creation of the world, that this is how it's continuing with the birth of Jesus. John also wants to make clear in this prologue that Jesus didn't really just begin whenever he took on flesh. Rather, that Jesus had been a part of the triune God from the very beginning of creation. And then John goes in and he begins to talk about light and darkness. And if you were here last week, we looked at the third chapter of John. And you will remember having heard about the light and about darkness darkness. This is a theme that John hits on again and again in his gospel. And one of the things that we talked about last week is that Jesus longs to bring light into the darkness of our world and into the darkness in our own lives if we will allow him to do so. Now at this point in the prologue of John, he takes a bit of an awkward move here we are we're talking about the light and we're talking about the word and all of a sudden then John begins to talk about John but of course he's not actually talking about himself he's talking about John the Baptist right John the Baptist and what he says is that John the Baptist is a witness and and if you've been here during the fall season when we were looking at the book of Acts you'll remember that was the theme about talking about the importance of being a witness and so one of the things that John the gospel writer does is he makes very clear something that is always important for witnesses to remember. We, we sometimes forget this, which is that John, as John the gospel writer says, John the Baptist is not the light. He is pointing to the light. In other words. John the Baptist our witnesses, we are not God, rather we are pointing to God. And I have seen, perhaps you have seen at times as well, how easy that is for some folks, myself included perhaps at times, to begin to forget that we are not God. We are simply called to point to God. And then not only that, but also what John the gospel writer is pointing out here is the importance of our being a witness, of always asking, how are we pointing to the light of Christ? Then John the gospel writer takes another shift back to the main road if you will where he again then begins to talk about the importance of the light and he goes on to say that the word even though he created the world and of course the word and the light who is John talking about? Jesus, right? We don't know that yet, but we know that already. And he begins to talk about the fact that the world will not always accept the light, it seems, even though he has created the world. And and, and and what John is doing here, I think, is John is preparing us at the very beginning of his gospel to say, if you keep reading this, you need to know that Jesus is going to go through some difficult times. It's a little bit like uh, a few weeks ago, we uh, Megan and I, my wife and I, we decided to show our girls for the very first time, the classic movie uh, E.T. right and so uh, E.T. this was back in the 80s when movies were made as they should have been made as they should still be made and and, and so But before that, we sat down with them to say, okay, there are going to be some scary moments in E.T., but don't worry, everything turns out okay in the end. And so John here is letting us know there are going to be some scary moments in here, but don't worry about it. It's going to turn out, but you should know that not everyone is going to accept the light. But for those who do, then John goes on to say, they will become children of God. Right, not just that they will become, let's say, a soldier in God's army, not just that they will become citizens in God's kingdom, but that they will become children of God. There is this remarkable intimacy all of a sudden, which is fascinating then to think about the trans how how this is kind of transgressed, if you will, from from the beginning, where you had this abstract philosophical up in the clouds kind of verbiage around words and around being the word and about light, all of that kind of all of a sudden then John now has begun to take us down where we all of a sudden we crash in the soil of the 14th verse where it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Right? N.T. Wright says this is where it goes from being an abstract principle to being a person. And this is critical because what John is beginning to make the argument very early on in his gospel is that God is not distant or fuzzy or uninvolved or some kind of deistic God, but rather he is real and tangible as you will see him in Jesus. And this is something that the world, it seems to me, needs to know. And it is something, quite honestly, that the church, though we sometimes use, Use the right language has all too often forgotten. I've told some of you the story about when I was a kid, when I was in high school, we decided, uh, our church youth group, that we were going to go up to Wilmore, Kentucky to go to uh, 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 this, this music festival kind called Ichthus. It was kind of a Christian Woodstock, if you will, without the drugs and other things. And so... So it was this kind of great little trip, right? And so we decided, we went up there. It was kind of the sociological slash psychological experiment, really, because when we climbed into the church van, um, there we were. We all had all you know, nice, clean clothes. Uh, we had, our, our teeth had been brushed. Our hair looked good. Um, we were in good spirits, and, and we didn't allow everyone else's kind of idiosyncrasies and annoying habits to get to us. We were in a good place. We had on a good face, right? And so we got into the van and we took what was this, something of a of a long journey up to Wilmore Kentucky and so when we got to Kentucky we kind of spilled out of the van we hadn't never been there before I'd never been there there was probably ten or fifteen of us in all and as you looked out over this massive field you could see it was just a massive humanity and far away there was the stage where the where the bands were going to be playing and then closer to us there was van after van after van all church vans but then there were tents and the tents were set up everywhere where all of the kids all of us youthies were going to be hanging out over the next few days and so we went ahead and we set up our tent and we got everything ready and then it began to rain And rain and rain. And if you've ever been out in a large field where there are a lot of people trampling around and there's been a lot of rain, you know it is going to get muddy really fast. And it did. I mean, it was disgusting, unless you were a high school teenage boy and then it was an opportunity because the mud was wonderful it was like a giant slip and slide and we were going everywhere as boys we were just running and we were just sliding and there were friends that we had never seen before and we'll never see again who who would come up beside us and said this is great and so it was a bunch of 15 and 16 year old boys if you will and we were just running and sliding all afternoon it was delightful but the music had begun and we knew that we should probably get ready and go down there but we were disgusting from head to toe we were caked with mud and so we knew okay you know and the chaperones like hey you need to go take a shower and so we went to the little communal showers if you will and i kid you not when we turned them on it was shaved ice that was coming out of those shower heads it was brutal which means of course It was the very last shower that we took over those next few days. And our kind of motto was, if you don't you're not washing your hair, if you're not brushing your hair, then you might as well not brush your teeth either. And, and, and you you really might as well not even change clothes, because why get the other clothes muddy? And so we just kept kind of walking around in all of this mud for the next three days or so. And of course, then we had to, every night we had to sleep in a tent, and I hate sleeping in tents. And there we were, and we were on the ground, and you know, it was kind of hot, and and, and, and you could hear the snoring from people all around you. There were bugs. And so every night, I mean, you hardly got any sleep. And so we got more and more tired. All this to say that if you could have taken a snapshot picture of the way that we climbed into the van in Florida versus the way we climbed into it when we were in Kentucky, it was dramatically different. We looked different. We smelled differently, but we also acted much Differently, because of the fact that we were so tired that we didn't have the energy or the wherewithal or the desire or the ability to continue to hold up the masks and the facades that we did when we were first coming up to Kentucky. We were too tired, we'd been around each other for too long, and so we were getting really honest with each other by this point. Which meant, of course, there were times when that honesty led to anger, to loud words, and even to tears at times, uh, but also that we actually began to see each other and one another for how we actually were, right? We were no longer feigning. We were no longer pretending to be something we were not. With this little group of folks, after three or four days of tenting and camping with one another, I knew them more intimately, quite honestly, and more honestly than I probably knew any other group that I was a part of at that time, just because of those three or four days of camping together. Now, why do I bring that up? Well, you guys look bored, and so I thought I'd tell a story. It has nothing to do with the Bible at all. You have to come tonight to hear. (laughs) The reason I bring it up, as some of you, my guess is no. And if you were here last Christmas, uh, and there were at least 15 or 20 of you who were on Christmas Day... John Grabe, you talked about this, which is that literally the word there in verse fourteen, where it says the flesh was there and dwelt among us, as we oftentimes translate it. It more literally in the Greek means that the Word became flesh, if you will, and it and it and it put up Jesus put up a tent, a literal tent in our midst, which I think is great imagery. Because, you know, far too often, I mean, when we talk about this, we talk about the incarnation. And the incarnation is a great word, you know, the word made flesh. It's a wonderful word. But it is a theological word. It is a church word. And I'm not sure that it actually really gets at what John is trying to say. What John, when he uses the word tent, there is something that is Earthy about that. It's real, it's gritty, and that is what the gospel writer John wants us to know. What might it look like in our own lives if when we walked around, we began to think less about God as being kind of up there and being other and more about being someone that we might camp with more often? How would that change how we relate? Think about it. Think about the trip that I took up to Kentucky at Icthus about the reality that. When we spent so much time going up, pretending as if everything was okay, what if we grew more comfortable with the notion that God actually already knows us as we truly are? And that rather than always trying to get dressed up for God, what if we thought about the fact that we were camping with him, and we knew that after several days of camping with him, we would stop pretending. We would stop acting as if we have everything together. One of the themes that we've had during Advent is the sense that we need to stop pretending and acting as if we have no sin, no shortfall, nor bro- no brokenness to ourselves, to others, and to God. How might it change if we spent less energy trying to impress God or trying to hide from God and more time simply allowing the light of Jesus Christ to actually come in and begin to transform us, to see us as we truly are When Jesus camps with us, we realize that Jesus sees us as we genuinely are. But but we also begin to realize that when we see Jesus and he's camping with us, that it means that we see Jesus as he actually is. See, theologians talk about the importance of Emmanuel, God with us, the incarnation, with the fact that then we get to really see who God is, not just who people talk about God being, not just, oh, God has this attribute or that attribute. We get to see God when he is walking with people, when he is eating with people, when he is talking with people, when he's, when he's having people over, when he's happy with people, when he's upset with people, when he's angry, when he's sad, when he's crying, all of this, we begin to see we have a Totally different view of Jesus when we think about and get to see that He was there camping with us. I had this image that came into my mind, which is that if we were there and we were actually camping with Jesus, that when we when He got out of His tent, right, He might look something like this, right. That he might have this, this kind of grouchy kind of, you know, I just woke up kind of, kind of look, right? Now, I, as, I, as I thought about that picture, I thought, well, maybe this sounds a little sacrilegious. But if it's sacrilegious, it's not my fault. It's the gospel writer's fault. Because one of the things that they said repeatedly is that he was real and he was on earth, Right, Not that he was some kind of distant thing. Right? The, the, the picture that we oftentimes have of Jesus is something more like this. This is not camping Jesus. Now, if you have a picture like this up on a wall, don't send me an email. It's okay for you to have that picture. However, I want you to know I think that you should also put this other picture right next to that picture. Because this is a clearer sense of what it means that Jesus camped with us. Right, That he's not distant and detached, but rather we get to see real Jesus. This is critical for us as followers of God to understand how important it was for him to not just know us intimately, but for us to know him. Now there's one last thing, it seems to me, that is important about this understanding of Jesus camping with us. Which is that, of course, a part of the reason why most folks use a tent is because it is remarkably portable. You can take a tent almost anywhere. It's much easier than picking up brick and mortar. It is versatile, which makes sense when you think about what we always are talking about, which is Emmanuel, God with us. The problem, you see, with something like Emmanuel, God with us, is that it rolls off the tongue very quickly and very easily. And by and large, we don't even really think about it that much. And I think that the church, with great frequency, says Emmanuel, God with us, but it actually always puts a little addendum. You know, Emmanuel, God with us at church. Emmanuel, God with us, mostly the pastor, though. Emmanuel, God with us when we are doing the right kinds of things. And and what, what John wants us to see is that actually, no, 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 no. That is Emmanuel, God with us everywhere and at all times. If you've been going here for more than, I would say, two or three weeks, you will know that, of course, I like the way Eugene Peterson translates the 14th verse. Eugene Peterson says that the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. In other words, when Jesus sets up his tent, he didn't set it up down at the KOA. Everyone know what the KOA is, right? The campground of America, right? No, no, no. He didn't didn't go and set up the tent at Lions Park and you can go visit at times. He didn't set up the tent over at the Palladium, over at the Palladium, right? He didn't set up the tent down at Lucas Field, his tent up there. No, 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 no. Jesus set up his tent in your neighborhood, in your front yard. When you wake up and you open the curtain, Jesus is there with that aforementioned, sometimes grouchy face and sometimes with a pleasant face. And he is there and he is looking at you. And he is wondering, in what way have we made me, what way have you made me alive in this neighborhood? I am here and I am waiting to see how you are going to reflect me. From time to time, well, it seems to me that with great frequency, and I have to keep hitting on this because it is difficult for you and it's difficult for me to get it through our heads, quite frankly, which is that usually, 99% of the time, when we ask ourselves how healthy is a church, the way, the first sign that we look at, is how many people are coming into the temple, into the brick and mortar, once a week. If you don't believe me, right, just look at the bulletin. It will tell you. And when it's a higher number, like 795, like it was last week, you get excited. And hear me, please. I love it. When people come in here into the brick and mortar on Sunday mornings, I love it. I love to hear you sing. I love seeing people connect. I love seeing children run around the gathering space. Not my own children, but I love to see the other children do that. I love being with you. I love preaching in front of you. There is nothing more exciting in my life, quite frankly, which may say something about my life. But I love being up here preaching in front of you. And I want you to know that when there are more people, I love it even more. That's okay, however, we have to fight We have to fight the urgings that we have and that is put on us by the culture in which we live, the Christian culture in which we live, that says that the sign that you are healthy and in our mission with God is how many people are coming into your brick and mortar every Sunday morning. I think it's a good sign of health, but it is not the sign of health. ZPCers from time to time, they will come in and they will ask me, in various and sundry ways. How do you feel, Jerry? How, how's the church doing? How are we doing? In other words, are, are we healthy? Are we, are we doing okay? I think it's a great question. I love that question. I love wrestling with that question. Here's the thing, though, that I am increasingly beginning to see, which is that every single one of my answers, whenever I answer that question, I always will have to ask, so don't ask me this question unless you are willing to be asked this question, which is this, or this statement. If you really want to know how ZPC is doing, then you should ask one of your neighbors or one of your coworkers. No question, I can't answer that question quite frankly unless I have gone by or you have gone by and asked your neighbor or your coworker how he or she is doing and whether or not they have been impacted at all by you. You see, because if Jesus it gets quiet, if Jesus moved into not someone else's neighborhood, but into your neighborhood. And if Jesus is alive right there, and if you are a witness and pointing to the light, then guess what happens? Your neighborhood begins to change. Your workplace should begin to change. There should be people who are beginning to get to know each other who didn't know each other before. There should be relationships that are starting to be made more healthy. There should be people who aren't trying to hide who they are all the time, but perhaps are being honest about their own struggles. There should be opportunities for you to be able to point to the light and to the grace of Jesus Christ the one who has placed his tent in your neighbor's front yard as well whether they know it or not I love ZPC. I love that ZPC is growing right now. I hope and my prayer is that we will continue to more and more be able to help people to be honest about their own struggles. I've said that so many times from up here. I would love for us to be able to help others and others to experience the freedom that comes when you don't have to always hide or act like you have it all together. I would love ZPC to be a place that helps others to experience the real Jesus, not the kind of fakey Jesus that's up there and kind of far away and removed, but the real Jesus who's involved in people's lives. But I also want them to experience that richly, not just in here in the brick and mortar, but with the Emmanuel tent that you have taken with you, and that is in your neighborhood, and that is in your place of work. Because we are in a world that is full of mud and muck and darkness, and they need to know the light Of Jesus Christ. So, my hope, brothers and sisters, is that you will think about what difference it makes that Jesus did not just come to the earth, but that Jesus chose to camp with us. That he has set up his tent in our very midst. And his hope, it seems to me, is the hope that all of us should have. That when we begin to reflect that reality, not just in here, but in our everyday living, that our neighborhoods, our community, and our world will never be the same. Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, God has put up his tent in our midst. Emmanuel, God has moved into the neighborhood. Let us pray. Jesus, so often we fail to really understand what it is that we say when we say, Manuel, God, with us. I pray, Lord, that you would put some flesh onto those words. And that you would help us to see the reality of what it means that you have chosen to put up your tent, Lord, in our front yards and in our places of work and where it is that we are playing, wherever it is that we are. And that as we begin to embrace that, that we will see your light shine in ways we could never have imagined. We pray all of these things in your name. Amen.